Good morning. I bring an old Pennsylvania Dutch statement with me. Hot enough for you? Man, it has been humid. I went, I, I was cooking out last night and no sun, no nothing beating down, but man, I walked out there, I felt like I was breathing underwater. Anybody ever feel that way? Just, <laughs> but you know what? This weather, God gave it to us just like he gives us the rain, he gives us the sunshine, he gives us everything and it's for a reason. So I praise God for the humidity and for air conditioning. Uh, <laughs> but last week we uh, continued a sermon series that we called Faith Under Fire. And uh, in case you haven't been here, uh, we're talking about the book of Daniel, the first few chapters. And we're talking about four young men, four young men who uh, were Jewish, they were Hebrew, they were taken into exile by King Nebuchadnezzar into Babylon. And these four men were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And of course the king changed their names to Belteshazzar, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and that's how we know uh, those three by that name usually. Uh, Daniel we still know by Daniel. And these boys for, for three years were indoctrinated into Babylonian culture. So they learned all about the language and they learned all about the art and the history and everything so that they might be able to serve King Nebuchadnezzar in his court because these, these young men, they were strong, they were healthy, they were handsome. Um, they were probably nobility. Um, but they were indoctrinated into these uh, positions. And King Nebuchadnezzar did. They put them into positions of power. Daniel was made a satrap over the province of Babylon, and he asked the king, hey, uh, could my friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, can I use them as administrators kind of under me? And the king, of course, said yes. And last week we saw King Nebuchadnezzar build a 90-foot-tall golden image that was basically representing himself. And we said that image was probably some sort of obelisk. It might have been like just a really grotesque, um, you know, form of himself where the face was like 50 feet tall or something. You know, we don't know what it looked like, but we know that it was this huge image. And he brought all of his leaders, all of the government leaders all throughout Babylon together to this place. And he said, when the music starts, you fall down and you worship that image that represents me. And they did. Except for three people. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Daniel, we don't know, we think he's back in the king, you know, he's kind of taking care of the king's business while the king's out here getting everybody to worship him. Um, but he's not present in this. But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were there. They refuse. They say, we're not going to bend. We're not going to bow to the king's image because they knew from the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not worship any graven image. That was one of the things that they believed. Now this made the king furious and we talked about this last week. We read in uh, Daniel 3, 13 to 15, that Nebuchadnezzar in furious rage commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought to him. So somebody tells on him and they get brought to the king. So they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now, if you are ready, 
When you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, to fall down and worship the image that I have made, well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will rescue you out of my hands or deliver you out of my hands? And we talked a little bit about this last week, but there's, there's a lot going on in that comment, that last comment that the king makes. Who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? There's something we have to realize. We talked about this a little bit last week. Babylon served a lot of gods. Some historians believe there were over 2,000 gods that Babylon had. They had the moon god and the sun god and you know one for thunderstorms and one for regular storms. This is actually true. I actually read that. There's a god of storms and thunderstorms because they're different. Another god for wisdom and another god for justice, another god for love. All of these different gods and you go to that particular god and you pray to that particular god for that one thing that you want. And according to most of the historians that I've read, every Babylonian honored and respected every single god equally. So there wasn't like a, an uber god. There wasn't somebody that was ahead of anybody else. All 2,000 of them equal. So this begs the question, if the king asks, who is the god who will deliver you out of my hands? Isn't he really saying, my power is greater than all of our gods? I have more power than all of the gods that we worship. Which one of these 2,000 are going to rescue you? That's what he's asking. So not only did he have anger issues that we learned last week, he ought to have a little bit of an issue with pride. He thought himself higher and more powerful than the gods. And he had encountered the one true God previously. You remember we talked about Daniel interpreting the king's dreams. And he admitted, hey, you know, God did this. Your God, Daniel, um, he has the power to help you interpret dreams. And he experienced that. But he basically lumped the one true God in with the other 2,000 gods. Okay, this God is powerful. He's, he must be the God of dreams. So we're going to put him over here on this shelf with all these other gods. But really, he doesn't have a lot of power. He can just do that one thing. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, well, they know better. They know the power of the one true God. They know that he created everything, that he is in control of everything. And because they know that, because they trust that, they say to the king, O King Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, if you throw us into the fiery furnace, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not... Be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods, and we will not worship the golden image that you have set up. And this is, uh, we're kind of doing just a little review from last week. Some of you weren't here. This is the first time hearing it. Some of you are hearing it second time. But 
Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego know a God who could snuff out the flames of that fiery furnace. Just, psst, they're gone. Our God could do that. Our God could strike everybody here with blindness and we could just walk down the aisle and walk out and escape if that's what God wanted to do. Our God could throw everybody into madness and confusion the way that he did when Joshua was going up against the Gibeonites. This is something that our God has done. We know that this is the power that he has. He could cause a deep sleep to fall over you and everybody here. And all of Israel that you have captive right now could take all of your stuff and escape and leave. Just like David did with King Saul when he went into Saul's camp and God put a deep sleep over him. And David stole his spear and his water jug that were laying right next to his head. And he didn't hear anything. This, this is the power of our God, King Nebuchadnezzar. He can rescue us from this burning, fiery furnace. And because we know he can do that, we intend to obey his will. So throw us in, don't throw us in, do what you gotta do. Our God will deliver us from you. And of course we read last week that the king ordered the furnace seven times hotter than it usually was, and he ordered his strongest men to tie the guys up and throw them into the furnace. And of course, while they threw them into the furnace, the fire rushed up and burned the guys that were the strongest guys in the king's army. And that's where we ended last week, verses 22 and 23, because the king's order was so urgent and the furnace overheated. The flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bound into the fiery furnace. And that's where we're picking up this morning. We stopped there. We, we ended that story. Because really, if we completely trust and believe God, it didn't matter whether they were thrown into the furnace or not. God was going to deliver them. They believed that. We also can believe that. And that's where we ended last week. But I want you to think about, think about being tied up and being perched at the top of this furnace. Usually these furnaces were cut into the sides of hills and they were built up and there was a top and then there was a little door, right? The top is where they would smelt the copper or whatever they were melting and the door was to feed the fire. These guys were thrown into the top of this furnace. Now imagine you're up at the top of this furnace and you can feel the heat. You can feel the, you can smell the smoke. You're watching these guys that are throwing you in burn alive. Where did Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego find the peace that it took to accept what was happening to them as part of God's plan? And this is really what we're talking about here. Yes, we're talking about their obedience. We're talking about that they will only worship the one true God. But once they made that choice, that decision, 
We don't see them struggling. We don't hear them screaming as they're thrown into the furnace. What I experience when I read this passage is they're at peace. They're at peace with their situation. You ever thought about what the peace of God is like? Some of us have experienced the true peace of God. Some of us, maybe we've experienced it and we don't realize it. But think about what the peace of God is like. Isaiah 26.3 tells us, You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. This is what's happening with these three young Hebrew men. Their minds were stayed on God. Their minds were stayed on this belief that God would deliver them, either by death or by rescue. Even as they felt this immense heat, even as they were thrown in and they fell into the center of this fire, we'd see nothing from them but the peace of God. If we want to feel God's peace, we have to put our trust in him. We have to believe that he will do the things that he says he will do in scripture. We have to believe that he will provide for us, that he will take care of us, that he has what is his best will working in our lives. And that he's going to do everything to accomplish that perfect will. And this is sometimes one of the hardest things to do, even as Christians. Because I know a lot of Christians, myself included, that experience a lot of anxiety. You don't have to raise your hand, but how many of us experience Anxiety. How many of us experience worry or fear? Sometimes we forget to acknowledge that our power, that our knowledge, that our abilities come from God. Everything that we do, everything that we say, if we're doing God's will, all of those things come from God. We don't breathe without God. We don't live without God, let alone do anything else. And when we don't put our full trust in God, we eventually become anxious over things because we look at our own abilities. We look at the things that we are able to do and we say, uh-uh, can't do it. Impossible. I can't get through this. I don't have the strength to deal with this. I don't have the ability to accomplish this. And we look at all of these things and we become anxious. We stress over having enough money. We stress over having food and shelter. We stress over these things. We worry about sending, right now, sending our kids to college. Got one in college, one on the way. And college is expensive. And we have conversations, and sometimes, yes, we stress over it until we remember God's going to take care of that. 
if my boy's supposed to go to college, and he's supposed to go to this college and study this thing, God's going to give us what we need to put him through college. He's going to give him scholarships. He's going to earn things. He might work. We're going to work. God gives us the ability to do those things. But God doesn't want us to be anxious. Regardless of the circumstance, God doesn't want us to be anxious. He wants us to trust in him. He wants us to look to him and say, yes, God, I know you can, you can handle this. I give it to you. And the Bible is full of instructions about not being anxious. And God speaks to us. Old Testament, New Testament, it doesn't matter. Joshua 1.9, have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed. For the Lord is with you wherever you go. This is good news that he's giving to Joshua. Isaiah says it this way, fear not, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. In the New Testament, Jesus says, therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? And Paul goes on in Philippians 4, 6, do not be anxious about anything. Anxiety shows up over and over and over again in the Bible, Old and New Testament, 1 Peter 5, 7, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. And I think I skipped that slide. And I know what some people are thinking. You know, it's all well and good to tell us not to be anxious, God, but it's not easy. You ever tell God, this is not easy? It's not easy to not worry. It's not easy to not be anxious. But God not only tells us not to be, he gives us instruction on how not to be anxious, how to let go of anxiety. And again, we turn to the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 26.3. He says, you keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts you. Psalm 55:22 says, cast your burden on the Lord and he will sustain you. And this is the same thing that Peter wrote, except he used the words anxiety instead of burden. This is what we're talking about. What it means is quite literally, we can let go of fear and despair and anxiety. And we can give it to God to carry. That's your burden. The anxieties and the fears and the despair, we can lay those burdens on God. And Paul tells us not to be anxious. We just read that. But then he tells us how to do that. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And if you've been in church for a while, you know this next verse. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Jesus Christ. What all these passages are saying and what these 
things in Scripture boil down to is stop trusting yourself. I know i got to stop trusting myself because when I get into Joe mode, sometimes things just don't go well. Have you ever been in Joe mode? No, of course not. You've been in Cindy mode, right? <laughs> when you're in Cindy mode and things aren't going well, you feel a little anxious, right? Sure. Yeah, because we're trusting ourselves. Stop being in Joe mode. Stop being in Kenny mode. Stop being in Wendy mode. Start getting into God mode. We can trust God. I actually was going to say we should trust God. And it's true, we should trust God. But we can trust God. And I think sometimes, and, and again, even I forget that I can trust God. Because the entirety of Scripture reveals a God who is perfectly trustworthy. We see time and time again how he takes care of his people. We see time and time again how he intercedes in things sometimes with manna from heaven. We see sometimes where things happen just at the right time for people to be able to do what it is that God wants them to do. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego trusted that whatever happened, whether they died or whether they didn't, God would sustain them. He would uphold them. That he would do what his will was, whether that was for them to die and be in his presence, or whether it was to not die and be a witness to God's power. And they discovered quickly that God wasn't finished with them yet. Even as they're falling into the fire, they realize we're okay. We read in verses 24 to 25, then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and he rose up in haste. He declared to his counselors, did we not cast three men bound into the fire? They answered and said to the king, true. O king, yes, we threw three men into the fire. And he answered, but I see four men walking, uh, unbound, walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. The boys didn't die. The only thing that burned off of them were the ropes that they were bound with by the king. Their clothes didn't catch on fire. Their bodies didn't catch on fire. And what's more, somebody joined them at the bottom of this furnace. And I don't know how long it took for Nebuchadnezzar to realize that there was a fourth person in there. Maybe it was only a minute. Maybe it was like 20 minutes. Maybe he came back and looked. But can you just imagine the three boys walking around in this 7,000 degree furnace? Ah, nice and balmy today. Wonder if we'll get any rain. I'm glad it's a dry heat. <laughs> and they're just walking and they're talking to this fourth person. Nebuchadnezzar says it looks like a son of the gods. Now, some commentators believe this is to be the angel of the Lord. 
which we see throughout the Old Testament. Some commentators believe it to be the pre-incarnate Christ. That Jesus Christ in a form prior to his birth was walking around the fire with these guys. And the passage doesn't tell us which one it is. But either way, that's God there. God sent somebody down to hang out with them in the fire for a little while. To rescue them. Then King Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the burning fiery furnace and he declared, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. Notice he didn't call the fourth guy. He didn't want to have anything to do with that guy, right? He just wanted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Come out and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out from the fire, and the satraps and the prefects and the governors and the king's counselors gathered together and saw that the fire had not had any power over their bodies. The hair of their heads was not singed, their cloaks were not harmed, no smell of fire had come upon them. Most of you know I smoke meats. And usually when you smoke meats, there's smoke. Wendy's shaking her head yes. I can be out there for like three minutes, right? Just starting up the fire. And I can come back in and Wendy's like, smoking meats today, huh? Because she smells the smoke on me. These guys were standing in the middle of a fire. And it didn't even smell or look or appear that they had been anywhere near it. This is the power of God. King Nebuchadnezzar, finally, he looks at these guys and, and they're just, he's, he's astonished is what the Bible says. He finally looks at these guys. He says, blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants, who trusted in him and set aside the king's command, set aside my command, and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own god. This is a witness. What happened with these boys made King Nebuchadnezzar realize that it was their trust in God. Far as we know, King Nebuchadnezzar never really trusted any of the 2,000 gods that he worshipped because he thought he was better than the rest of them. The rest of well, all of them. He thought he was better than the one true God. And he's astonished. This event left a profound impact on Nebuchadnezzar. A short while ago, he was boasting that no deity had the power to stop him from burning these boys alive. And now he sees firsthand there is a God who has that power. The God of Israel is far more powerful than he is. And he admits this, all of this to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to all of the governors and the prefects and the satraps and all of those other guys that are around him. He says this in front of everybody. Their God's bigger than me. 
And this is likely the first time he has ever said anything like that. Their God's more powerful than I am, guys. Now, King Nebuchadnezzar decided that he was going to uh, make a decree about God being more powerful than he is. So he made a decree, any people, nation, or language that speaks anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb and their houses laid in ruins, for there is no other God who is able to rescue in this way. So we kind of get the idea that Nebuchadnezzar still doesn't really get it. Well, if anybody says anything about their God, I'm going to stand up for him and I'm going to kill him. Stop what God wants him to do. But that's where he is in his mind. And we learn that he hasn't learned a whole lot about God yet. He hasn't learned a whole lot about humility yet. But he will. And next week, we're going to hear from the king himself in Daniel chapter 4 about this incident in his life where he was literally torn down to nothing. Lost his kingdom, lost his living, lost everything. And we're going to see where that experience and the knowledge that he has so far of God leads him to. But as far as this day, the king learned that God is trustworthy. God said it, God did exactly what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said that he would. And I hope, I pray that we can see that in our own Christian walks. I hope and I pray that even more we can practice trusting God completely. God doesn't want us to be anxious. And, and again, I'm, I am guilty. I am guilty of anxiety. I am guilty of worry. I am guilty of fear. Because I rely on myself. I need to learn to start relying more on God so that I can be less anxious. I need to learn to trust God because he's trustworthy, because I have seen over and over and over again in my life how God has taken care of me and my family. I've seen over and over and over again how God has taken care of the families in this congregation and our friends, our families. So I got to work on that. And my prayer today is that we all can lay our burdens on the Lord and trust him completely to take care of us physically and emotionally and spiritually because God knows what you need and he knows what he wants for your life. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for the humidity. We thank you for the heat. We thank you for just everything that you do in creation. We thank you for creating us, even though you didn't have to, but you created us because you love us. Father, we thank you for being a God who is trustworthy. And you do what you say you're going to do, and you've proven that time and time again. Father, help us to trust you 
Help us to let go. Let go of our burdens, our fears, our anxieties. Help us to remember to lay them on you because you want us to lay them on you. Help us to look for your will in our lives and help us to do that will. Father, just give us peace. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning we're going to be uh, taking communion. Um, and for those of you who are new here or haven't been here since we've taken communion, uh, the way we do that is that uh, after a time of prayer, um, everybody will be asked to come forward to receive the bread and the cup, return to your seats, and then we will all partake together. And I want you to think of something as you're, as you're preparing uh, for communion. And again, we're going we're gonna to just have a little time of prayer. I want you to take this time. Think about what makes you anxious. Think about what you fear, what you worry about. Think about whether you can actually lay that on the cross. Jesus died so that we could experience a relationship with God the Father. And one of those things that God wants us to do is to lay our burdens on Him. Jesus' body was broken so that people might be saved, so that people might be healed. His blood was spilled so that people might know God. So as you pray, as you prepare this morning, Give one of those anxieties to him. Make the decision that you're going to trust that God can take care of the things that you know you can't. We're going to take a couple of minutes time of prayer and then I'll call the deacons up for service. Jesus had a lot to be anxious about on the night that he ate the Last Supper with his apostles. He knew he was being led to death. And he knew that one of his friends was going to be the one to betray him into the hands of the religious leaders who would kill him. But on the night he was betrayed, instead of giving over to that anxiety, to that fear, he took bread. And after he blessed it, he broke it. And he passed it around to his disciples. And he said, take this and eat it. This is my body which will be broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. The body of Jesus Christ. After supper, he took the cup, 
And after he blessed it, he passed it around and he said, Drink this, all of you. This cup is the New Testament in my blood. It is poured out for the salvation of many. As often as you drink it, do this in remembrance of me. Blood of Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us that after supper, the disciples sang a hymn and went to the Garden of Gethsemane. And we see that Jesus prayed that God would take this event away, that he might not be killed, that he might not have to die. But he also put his complete and perfect trust in the Father when he said, Father, not my will, but your will be done. We sang a hymn this morning, Be Not Dismayed, Whate'er Be Tied. And I don't know if Marion and Carolyn knew what I was going to be preaching about this morning or not, but it fit perfectly with the message that I hope you heard this morning. I just want to read this as our benediction, as our, as our time closes. No matter what may be the test, God will take care of you. Lean weary one upon his breast. God will take care of you. God will take care of you through every day or all the way. He will take care of you. Will you believe that this morning? Will you believe that no matter what the circumstance, even if you're faced with a fiery furnace, God will take care of you. You just need to trust Him. God bless you this week.